Hello, uh, my name is Grace, and the subject that I am going to be talking about is the acculturation and assimilation of indigenous cultures in early and present-day America. I chose this topic because I want to educate and bring awareness to what has happened to the indigenous population over the past 500 years. Now, a lot of my information and research has mainly come from my family members, uh, more specifically my mother and my grandmother. But as an indigenous American, I believe that it's important and it's a part of my history and ancestry to talk about the past and to not forget what has happened to the indigenous people over the years. Okay, now, to briefly discuss what I'm going to be actually talking about is a very rough timeline of information. Now, this information will be in topics, so it's not necessarily a solid timeline format. So, the first thing that I will be talking about is the Civilization Fund Act which was actually put in place in 1819, so a pretty long time ago. Um, so what is this act really? Um, well, it's the idea of infusing the indigenous people with a good moral character and vocational skills. You can't see it, but I'm hand-quoting. So this actually results in Christian missionaries and the government wanting to teach young natives, again, I'm hand-quoting, teach young natives European culture, basically. And this ultimately resulted in the boarding schools. So to just briefly discuss boarding schools, because I do have other additional information about these schools that I'm going to discuss later through the podcast. Um, so the original plan for the schools was to enroll the native students with parental consent and which parents would actually allow their children to go. However, this isn't how it went down at all. When the schools started and they were just like getting ready for children to arrive, they would have government officials go to the houses and threaten or coerce or both and they would go to the parents house and let the children go to the school which there's an air quote on let because in their eyes it really wasn't a choice for the children to go and if you have any questions about how the government officials would threaten i could answer those questions but for now, I could just share an example. The officials would threaten to take away their rations, so like their food and supplies and all of that. Or they might co coerce them with more food so that they would allow them to take their kids away to the boarding schools. Now, this threatening and coercing didn't stop until 1970 which was 40 years ago. So that, that kind of puts it into perspective. Now, when 
the children actually got to these schools, like after being taken away from their family, the overall plan for them was that their culture was just going to be replaced with a better culture. And air quotes on better, because I don't think I need to explain that. But the better culture was a traditional European style teaching and culture, which is who this, who ran the school and, you know, all of the European people that came and did the boarding schools. Now, all of this came from the Civilization Fund Act of 1819, and if it didn't stop until 1970, that that is a long time for boarding schools. Uh, now I'm going to move forward in the timeline and talk about Johnson versus Macintosh, which came to be in 1823, so four years later than the Civilization Fund Act. So Johnson versus Macintosh is where the popular quote of Indians only have a right of occupancy and not the title to their lands, quote. From this disagreement, the Johnson vs. Macintosh became a long fight between two guys and whose land was whose, but they really failed to consider that it was the natives' land first. So they were disagreeing on if it was Johnson's land or if it was Macintosh's land, but it was really Johnson taking the natives' land first. Now, from this argument came the Dawes Act of 1882 and the Cobell lawsuit. Right now, I will just focus on the Cobell lawsuit because I have way more information on the Dawes Act that I will discuss later. So the Cobell lawsuit is actually quite new because it came to be in 1996. It was developed in 1996. The woman that actually brought this up is Eloise Campbell, and she is a Blackfoot native from Montana. The reason that she did this and what she was actually going to focus on is because she found discrepancies within the management of tribal lands and the overall ownership of the tribal lands. From this fight, however, came the Claims Settlement Act in 2010, and this was the settlement that reached a $3.4 billion agreement, and with this money, uh, the Claims Settlement Act money, a portion of it went to the tribal government so that the issues with land could be worked out. However, because only a portion of it was given to the tribal lands, there are still battles with what to do with it, even today. Okay, so to now talk about the Dawes Act, just for a little bit. So the Dawes Act of 1887 is a mission of civilizing and assimilating Indians into mainstream American culture. So, from this knowledge of the Dawes Act, Henry Knox was the man who proposed the 
cultural transformation of indigenous families and children. He thought that from this idea of a standard set of cultural values, that it was the most important. He wanted America to be very cookie cutter and the same throughout every culture. So this is where the thought of education and boarding schools really kind of came to be and started. So now I just want to, now I want to bring up a word that kind of has been resonating with what I've been talking about. So Americanization is where, is a plan that was set into place to teach natives the true American ways and values. The original idea was to have the indigenous culture kind of merge and come together with the other American culture, but that's not really how it went anyways. So from this merging came the solution of the government to outlaw all cultural practices and values to make the process a little bit easier, if that makes sense. So by outlawing all of the cultural values like powwows and sundances and even like traditional foods and herbs and languages, that's important, um, it kind of was just making the assimilation process easier. And from this, this process came the Indian Removal Act of 1830. And this is where the, there was a relocation of tribes from the east of the Mississippi, so all tribes from the east of the Mississippi, they got removed to the west of the Mississippi. The, actually, the first native tribe t to sign were the Choctaws, and apparently they went voluntarily. But the government officials obviously had to do something with that. So the Dawes Act, not coming until about uh, 40 years later, after the, 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 not coming till after the Indian Removal Act, um, this set up, the Dawes Act set up the reservation systems and took all of the tribes onto reservations. And not until about 1924, so after the Dawes Act of 1887, not until 1924, the Native Americans on reservations didn't have citizenship. But on, in 1924, the Indian Citizenship Act came to be, where the, this act was responsible for giving Natives on the reservations citizenship. From the Dawes Act came the first boarding school, which is called Carlisle, and Richard Henry Pratt founded the very first boarding school in 1879, and that is Carlisle. Another would be named, or another is St. Mary's. Um, I think both of them were in either of the Dakotas. I could be wrong now. Now, just to look back at what the indigenous Americans couldn't do or wear. So, uh, they couldn't talk, dress, 
or ultimately look like their native cultures. So from this, they were given Anglo-American names and clothes and haircuts. So since in our culture, our hair is an extension of our soul and our our overall um, spirit, and by so by cutting our hair, it was very disrespectful and it was frowned upon, but it just happened. So the overall logic was that it was cheaper to educate and then rather not fight. So this is why they wanted to educate and not basically start a war. So at Carlisle, conditions were, they were just absolutely terrible. The students were susceptible to TB or tuberculosis and the flu because they weren't ever exposed to these illnesses until after the children went to the schools. And because of this, there are statistics that show that approximately 200 children died within the 40 years that the boarding schools were open from these different illnesses. However, this, is, is, this isn't showing the children that died from either physical or sexual violence. So after 1970, there was a deal called the Indian New Deal, which came to be. And the person that is responsible for that deal is John Collier, and he was the guy that put his intentions out that he wanted to help reverse the damage of the assimilation process that was caused by the boarding schools. So through this conversation came the thought of linguistic preservation. Um, so it's trying to reverse the damage of losing other native languages caused by the boarding schools and the overall assimilation process. So the native tribes would begin to initiate language immersion schools. Which were off, which were on the reservations, so um, the children would be able to learn it from their own reservations. So, oh, and actually, uh, my great grandma Hazel Doney taught Grovant little kids in Hayes, Montana, way back when, like in the seventies and eighties. Now, moving through the timeline, I have a couple different acts that I didn't do as much information on just because they aren't a part of a bigger issue or they just don't have a lot of information to them. So moving on through the timeline, I'm looking at the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934. And this is where allotment ended and there was a ban on the sale of native land. And so as a result of this, there was some land that was returned to different tribes. And this also takes me to a fact about water rights and um, how the some reservations deal with this. So there was a uh, it's called Winters versus the United States of 1990, 
and it's dealing with water rights on the Fort Belknap Reservation, which is 40 miles east. And so this is their right to util the, utilize the Milk River, and the Supreme Court ruled that we did have water rights in 1888, but my grandma, she lives down in Harlem, and she says that they are still negotiating water rights today. So the fight for land and the overall tribe tribal areas are still going on today. Another smaller act is the Self-Determination Act of 1975. And this is where sovereignty was restored to tribal governments and gave some independence with, and so this would mean like with federal funds. And the reason that this act came to be is because of the civil rights movement of this, like in the 60s. And so just to move three years down the timeline, I am going to talk about the American Indian Religious Freedom Act which was passed on August 11th, 1978. And the act basically tells you what it is in the title. Uh, but ju just to show that native land is still being threatened today, I have an example. So in 2017, former President Donald Trump threatened the Bears Ear National Monument in Utah by reducing the sacred land by over 1 million acres. And since indigenous cultures are a land-based religion, the local native practices were put at risk again. And if you if you don't know what a land-based religion is, um, it's basically where we practice our religion within a specific sacred location. So like whether this be like a different lodge or like out in Hayes, there is a there's a specific canyon that a lot of our practices are in. And so just to basically wrap up my podcast, I am just going to talk about uh, how natives are portrayed in the media today. So our representation isn't good. It gets a bad representation. So it's I think it's bad because of the offensive stereotypes. So, like, um, the Washington Redskins, well, the former Washington Redskins, and, like, um, when you think of a native in media, like, if you were to think about it a long time ago, then you might think of, like, tomahawks and scalping and, um, an overall bad persona. So, the, so... As I'm talking, the natives only are represented as stereotypes. So, like, bad natives don't practice culture or how they are uh, city natives. That's another term where they don't live on the reservations. And good natives are poor and they practice their, their cultures and they live on the reservation. And so... This is portrayed in films and in books, and it's emphasized that the good natives are can be helping the white men, and the bad didn't. And the slur, if you didn't know it was a slur, 
the, the savage came into effect. Um, so that is where the representation in movies isn't the greatest. So in different movies like Dances with Wolves and Last of the Mohicans, we favor the side that has the white person in it. And I guess this could go along with Pocahontas too because of John Smith and how we feel for John Smith and how he came onto this unknown place and he just and you know you know the story and I also want to just touch on the fact that Halloween and how people dress up as indigenous Americans which is terrible and it's not okay but when you think of dressing up as a native, it's only one type of native. And there are many different cultures and ways that we look, but it's only portrayed as one way, and it is the Plains Indians. However, there's different kinds in the East, and there's there's just many different kinds, and it's only portrayed as one. So I guess that really wrapped up my podcast, so thank you for listening. <laughs>